Hey, this is Chad Brown. Thanks for checking out Chad and Nate On Demand, presented by SCL Mortgage, the home of MySpecialMortgage.com. It's time for Distractions with Chad and Nate. Life moves pretty fast. You don't stop and look around once in a while. You could miss it. Now, here's Chad and Nate. Nate and I have spent the morning uh, reacting to the Broncos game a little bit and moving on to the topic at hand, which is who gets a chance to make this final 53? Uh, the NFL process is uh, a fascinating one in that uh, in this time of the year, you as a player, all your work, your entire body of work uh, begins to be discussed uh, by folks like Nate and I. Um, your value to the football team. Um, and then guys like Andrew Mason come on and, and lighten us uh, how much that you make. And so this guy makes less money. Therefore, they're going to go in the cheaper direction. And all these ways of describing all that you've poured into this process, um, your salary, your stats, your one or two mistakes out there, um, equals to you no longer being on the football team. Um, having had the entire uh, entirety of a football experience, second round draft choice, some success, some pro, some pro bowls, some all pros, all that kind of stuff. And at the end of my career, uh, having felt the pain of, of being cut, um, it is a, it's, it was a fascinating journey, but beyond that, it's a, a, a journey and one that, uh, I can see how guys begin to struggle and lose their identity, uh, as a human being when you are released from a football team, uh, because so much of your, self-worth so much of your identity is wrapped up in what you put on the field and now someone tells you that it's not enough um and then you go down into the locker room and the equipment guy has put a trash bag for you to clean out your locker um you know yeah you can take those cleats and those gloves that we gave you um, but we're going to grab that helmet so you don't take that away, and we'll grab those shoulder pads so you can't take those with you. But, yeah, all your your personal stuff in your locker, all your personal care products, whatever supplements you may have, yeah, you can grab your cleats and gloves and, you know, whatever extra jocks you want to take. Yeah, we'll let you take that with you. Um, and you walk out with this trash bag over your shoulder. Um, you know, when we were kids and we watched cartoons, that's what hobos did. They had, like, that bag over their shoulder. Um, that, that was like With a, a staple. Yeah. yeah, yeah. There was a stick and a and a bag over their shoulders. That's what hobos did when we were kids. Um, it's like what, my brother, like when he threatened to run away from home uh-huh. when he was like eight, because my mom made quiche. He hated quiche. <laughs> he packed his he packed his pillowcase uh-huh. and threw it over his shoulder like uh-huh. a hobo. Yeah, and walked out the front door. I'm not even sure there's hobos anymore. Um, but that's something that was a staple for me. Oh, there's hobos. Yes. Yeah, so, so I've. I've seen that so many times, but I've also seen players walk out of the locker room with that trash bag over their shoulders. And it's uh, the trash bag is a, is a fitting image for how those players feel at that moment. They are trash. They are being discarded. Mm. They are no longer worth it. They are no longer worthy of being on this team. It is a harsh reality for some. Uh, some bounce back from that and vow to be better and find ways to become better. Others, it's too crushing of a blow. And their football ends right there because they're unwilling to, you know, ramp it up emotionally again and, and deal with it again. Um, and there's others who, you know, take the experience of football and transition to something else and take the lessons of the game and move their lives forward, taking those football lessons, even though they're no longer going to be on the football field. So there's a wide range of feelings and emotions. 
But the trash bag analogy, I think, is one that is very fitting for that moment. Uh, when I sat in the office with Bill Belichick and Scott Pioli, I was in year 14 of my career. I was a grown man. I was mature. I had, had money in the bank and had all these other accolades from football. But in that moment, the, the, the surrealness of the moment was, was fascinating. It was, it was difficult to hear their words because I was just so deep in my head. Were and you thoughts. angry? Did um, you want to jump over the desk and like grab Scott Pioli and wring his his neck? No, because I understood the football reasons. I broke my hand the first day of pads. Mm. I hadn't practiced you know at all since the first day of pads. Um, so they needed need somebody who was going to be healthy. So it made football sense to me, but I felt like it was an out of body experience. Like you know, it was a uh, hard knocks camera yeah. in the corner of the room taking it all in. As to me, like being in my own body. So I can't even imagine what it felt, what it would have felt like at twenty three or twenty four at the very beginning of my career. And you know, they were clear that I was going to be brought back, um, but I just couldn't believe that it was my turn. That morning, as I'm walking into the Patriots facility, getting out of the parking lot, walking up to the front door, the Patriots have a key card like almost every other facility does around the league. So I go in my pocket to pull the key card out. Well, that time of year, there's always the intern who sits by the door. And his job is to, when somebody walks in the door and say, and whisper in that guy's ear, hey, um, um, Nate, uh, uh, Bill and, and Scott want to see you upstairs. So um, I've walked past that guy for 14 years without a second thought in my mind because, of course, I'm on the team. I've got I've, – I've been walking in with guys where they grab somebody who I'm with, but they never grabbed me. Right. So as I'm walking up to the door, pull my key card out, and I see the guy stand up. <gasps> oh, blank. He's standing up for me. Mm. It is my turn. Can't believe this has happened. Hey, Chad, um, Scott and Bill, they want to see you upstairs. But you should go to the locker room and grab your playbook. So I go to the locker room. I, I grab my playbook. Luckily, like the locker room's not very crowded at that point, so no one can see like all the emotion on my face. Uh, in the Patriots facility, there's one elevator. Um, that is Mr. Kraft's elevator. No players, no coaches take the elevator. Everyone takes the stairs. I thought, well, they're gonna cut me. I'm taking the elevator. So I got Mr. Kraft's elevator. Opens up on the on the third floor where the offices are. The doors open. Mr. Kraft's secretary looks at me like I'm crazy. I give her the what's up and walk over to Scott Pioli's office and have this conversation that's completely surreal. And I probably couldn't recall very many words that were involved in other than we're going to let you go, but we want to bring you back as soon as you're healthy. Um, so, yeah, I, I have been there. I have felt this. I understand the angst and anxiety and the uncertainty of that. Um, and then, then after that, then it comes the, even the more difficult part. Because you have to then have conversations with people and tell your loved ones and tell your agent and tell your friends. And just like it is when you're hospitalized and you're forced to comfort people while you're in the midst of pain, it becomes that same thing. You have to call people and tell them your news mm -hmm. and then you have to comfort them while you're in pain. No, it's going to be all right. I'm, I'm, I'm going to be okay. No, no, it's, 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 all, it's all good. It's all good. Um, so it's that weird, uh, one of those weird things in life that comes up from time to time where 
your, your suddenly the responsibility shifts from you as the hurt person to trying to protect those who are hurt for you. Um, yeah, and then you have to have those conversations. You try not to get emotional or too sad or too upset. Um, so, yeah, I feel for these guys, but the, the trash bag analogy connected to the trash bag to clean out your stuff and move on with your life is very fitting uh, for the feeling you have in this moment. You bring up a really interesting point with uh, the effect that it has on everyone else in your life as well because we think about these guys. Some of these guys, you might have thought there's no chance they're going to make the team, but that guy is a hero in his town. Mm-hmm. And he's got the hopes and dreams of everybody in that town on his back. And the further you make it in your football run, the more people jump on for that ride. you know. And um, whether it's your teachers, your neighbors, coaches, friends, parents, all these people come along and they put their hopes in you because they believe in you. You've shown them all up until this point that, first of all, you're a spectacular football player, but it's inspired those around you to believe that something special can happen in our town. Like, a guy can make it, you know? And when and when someone makes it from from a small town, not even a small town, but from just from a community, it buoys the whole community. And then, you know, you end up being part of an NFL team, and then you go back home. And it's just like it's you get a hero's welcome there, and um, and that kind of journey comes to an end when this stops as well. So you gotta you gotta call your coach, your high school coach, and tell him. Yep. You know, you gotta call your parents. You gotta call whoever matters to you and let them know that it happened. And then you're probably gonna disappear for a while because you don't want to have that conversation. You know, what am I gonna talk about if it's not football? What am I gonna talk about when people say, "Hey, you know, how are things going?" Well, you know how they're going. And so a lot of guys will disappear and go dark for a while. And that's why I talked earlier about the safety net and the psychological part of this because this is the entirety of their self-worth right now because it's what they've poured their heart into. So we talk about Nate Hackett, his new regime, and why it's different. And we've seen over the last couple months how he's different. Uh, he hugs a lot of people. You know, he, he hugs you when he sees you because he loves you. He cares about who you are as a person. He asks you questions about your family. He celebrates your personal triumphs. And so I think he's uniquely prepared for a moment like this because there are coaches who aren't. Now, I doubt Bill Belichick gives you a lot of lasting words in this moment that you can hold on to. No. You know, he's probably, uh, we decided to go. And, you know, and the Josh McDaniels effect as well. He didn't handle these moments right these moments are what these players are going to remember forever. You just talked about the surreal nature of that moment. Uh-huh. These guys are going to go and sit down in front of him, in front of George Payton, and have a very brief conversation. And I think, you know, Nathaniel Hackett is going to be able to connect with him on a human level and, and give him some words that they can actually hold on to. Ah, you, you got to hope so. I, I think the the humanity should not be lost in the process. And. Um, you know, the Patriots experience, and I've joked about it on there. The last time I was cut by the Patriots, Bill was eating grapes out of a Gatorade cup in the cafeteria. Uh, um, Chad, uh, could you come here for a second? Yeah. So that part of the, 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 the conversation and the humanity in that and the fact that, you know, I'm a human being, man. I'm giving you what I got here. And due to circumstances outside of my control, you no longer need me. But wow, there's still some humanity left. And, and I'm still a person standing in front of you. So. Um, hopefully Coach Hackett and all the position coaches and George Payton handle this thing correctly. I know we've got uh, Mike Kliss coming up next, but after we are done with Mike, uh, Coach Hackett told us a story during the production meetings that I think will illustrate uh, some of his thoughts and feelings about this cut-down process.
Can't wait to hear that story. But first, we're gonna we're gonna tap Mike Kliss and see what other information he has for us. We know that Corliss Waitman is now the punter. Sam Martin's gone. What other cuts are on the horizon? We're gonna hit up Mike Kliss about that next. It's Chad and Nate on Denver's Sports Station, one zero four three, the Fan. Cannot think of a more appropriate intro song for Mike Kliss. Mike Kliss, our Nine News Broncos insider, presented by Bent River Sportsbook, joins us. What's going on, Mike? It's a busy day for you, isn't it? It's going to be, yeah. Sam Martin is uh, is number one. Um, not not uh, completely surprised, given you know, especially after Waitman started the game, you know, the final preseason game, and uh, then um, you know, I was aware that. Uh, Sam Martin and his agent uh, notified uh, the Broncos. Um, you know, I became aware that they uh, weren't going to accept the pay cut and kind of added up. Uh, you know, it's it's surprising and it's not because he's a veteran guy directionally, can handle all kinds of different situations. Waitman has a very strong leg, but uh, doesn't quite have the control like most young punters. Uh, doesn't have the control or the aim that, um, you know, the veterans pick up over the years. And uh, with the Broncos going, you know, going for broke with the playoffs and everything else this year, I I thought they would um, go with the, until recently, I thought they would go with the, you know, the experience, the, the veteran, the sure thing. But uh, they see something in Waitman. Um, you know, I think Dwayne Stukes really likes Waitman. Uh, he likes his leg. He's left-footed. Good kid, um, sees a lot of potential there to develop, and uh, that's what they're going with. All right, so what else can we expect on the horizon? I know they have some tough decisions to make. Andrew Mason thinks McTelvin Ajim might be a casualty. Uh, Malik Reed, Michael Jamudia. I know that you don't have this information yet, but what can you speculate? Yeah, I, I really don't want to. I mean, it's uh, we're down to the final 24 hours, and... Uh, there's enough out there about uh, who's getting fired and, and who's not, which is basically what it is, right? Yeah. Um, you know, who's getting fired? Uh, I, I think this guy's getting fired, you know, before he learns right. that he's getting fired. But right. uh, uh, I, I think there's there's enough stuff out there right now. But they, I, from what I understand, they're not going to make the bulk of their cuts until about 2 o'clock today. I don't think they want a whole lot on the wire. Mm-hmm. Uh, on the waiver wire quite yet. I think they, they want to pile them all on tomorrow after the, t- you know, at two o'clock, um, you know, so maybe one or two uh, guys that would draw interest from other teams can slip through. And uh, that's, that's always the strategy for some of these teams. Uh, you know, I think they'll cut maybe 10 or 11 after two o'clock today. And then, uh, the rest of them uh, tomorrow morning, and um, you know, so they're all bunched up on the wire uh, tomorrow at two o'clock. So we'll see. But yeah, Malik Reed—that's um, you know—he's he's on the bubble because the numbers number one, and he's making two point four million. He's a non-guaranteed. But on the other hand, he's a heck of a player. You know, the last three years, he had more starts and more sacks than Vaughn Miller and Bradley Chubb. So um, he's a, you know, he's a productive player. Uh, there's a lot of young guys now 
that have moved into that outside linebacker spot, Benito, Browning, uh, Jonathan Cooper returns, and then you got the two big guys, Chubb and um, Gregory, and then you got a guy like Aaron Patrick who's a real good special teamer that Stukes, I think, wants for a core special teamer. So, there, you know, between all that, we'll see what happens with uh, Malik Reed. Uh, he could be, you know, a guy that they shop. Uh, we'll have to wait and see. Um, but again, he's a he's a heck of a player. You know, he's one of those guys who are always uh, you, you think you can do better, and then you realize that uh, you know it, it's hard to match his production. So we'll see what happens with Malik Reed. Uh, Mike, the last couple of years, the the Broncos had. Uh... Every team, you know, looks at the waiver wire and tries to improve the roster anyway, but they had more cuts than, you know, the, just the 27 to get to 53 so they could get guys from other rosters. Do you think George Payton has built up this roster enough where there'll be less of those waiver wire guys this year? Yeah, it's uh, possibly. Um, I, I do think they need uh, better depth at defensive line. If it, it You know, it depends uh, – you know, like uh, the number two quarterback, you know, um, Brett Rippon, Josh Johnson, both both pretty good. Uh, you know, if, if Case Keenum is out there on the waiver, it's not, I'm giving an example. He's not going to be cut. But let's say someone like Case Keenum is on the waiver wire. Well, you're going to put up a claim in for Case Keenum to be your number two. I don't think there's another number two out there who's going to be out there that's better than Rippon or Josh Johnson, whichever one they pick. So, you know, that's, that's kind of how it works with the, with the waiver wire. If there's an inside linebacker that uh, their personnel department loves, loved from the draft, um, you know, in, in the last two years, had great reports. They run the film uh, from the preseason, and they love what they saw. That's how they, uh, you know, they, they made a trade at the last minute last year for uh, Jonas Griffith that way. Basically gave up a seventh-round draft pick for Jonas Griffith. You know, I think they'll be looking to do that um, throughout the process. A defensive line, I think they'll be looking at that on uh, inside linebacker, and I think they'll be looking for to see if they can upgrade at uh, cornerback, a, a number four or five cornerback. Those would be the three places that I think uh, I think they need the most. Mike, one of the interesting position battles is at wide receiver. Uh, K.J. Hamler, who hadn't practiced a lot at all leading up to this third preseason game, was able to play and play 25 snaps, I think. Um, so that had to feel good for the coaches and for K.J. to be able to get that and come out of it clean. How does how does K.J.'s health affect the way they're assembling this roster? Yeah, with with K.J., and you, if you feel good about K.J. now after what you saw, and, you know, sometimes, um, you know, the, the guys looking at tape might see things uh, – that we can't see, you know, if they're satisfied with the way KJ uh, Hamler uh, looked, then that means, you know, you um, you know, one of the younger receivers uh, may not make it. You know, I, I thought Brandon Johnson was uh, one of the developments was KJ Hamler looked uh, good, and Brandon Johnson, who is looked like he was making the team, he was running with the first team uh, the last two weeks ever since the first preseason game. Uh, had a high ankle sprain, and that thing doesn't look like it's going to heal anytime soon. It's not an overly major injury, but he walked out with a boot and, and crutches. Um, you guys are familiar enough with the high ankle sprains. 
you know, Jerry Judy last year, for instance, missed seven games with a high ankle sprain. And I don't know if it's that severe for Brandon Johnson, but it's uh, not far from it, if, if not. So, um, you know, I think that's a that's a blow to him as far as making the 53-man roster. And, uh, yeah, they've, they've got quite a few. Seth Williams deserves to be on the team. Kendall Hinton does. Jalen Virgil, you know, showed the speed. He's got that uh, he's got that one NFL uh, skill characteristic that uh, really few teams have. But uh, with Montreal Washington, you know, he'll make the team. Uh, they're gonna, they're going to have a uh, you know if they're fortunate they're going to have a pretty good practice squad. They're going to have two or three on the practice squad from the receiver group, and still maintain their strength throughout uh, throughout the year. Mike, uh, the preseason has been difficult to evaluate with this Bronco team. Really, is because the starters have not played. Um, but in the uh, and I know this is a cut down, down time of year. But in the words of Bill Belichick, we're on to Seattle. So, where yeah. what do we know about this Broncos team, the starters, and what is your feeling going into Seattle in what uh, fifteen days? Well, I'm anxious like everyone else. Um, you know, I see where where. Things could go south. I, I see where um, they can be good. Um, you know, the things have to fall your way. I, you know, I, I don't. I don't think they're a great team, but I think I do think they have a chance to be a good team thanks to Russell Wilson. And you know, nothing's changed from since March. Um, you know, this is all about Russell Wilson right now, and whether he can pull out games at the end, like he has so many times in Seattle. You know, he. I don't know, you know, what you think of him as a passer, and but he's a play. He's more playmaker than he is passer, and uh, he's been a winner. You know, you look at his one loss record every year, except for last year when he got hurt. Um, he's an eleven and five, ten and six quarterback. I think he averaged uh, somewhere in between there, better than ten and six, not quite eleven and five in his first nine years with Seattle. And so, uh, you know, that's what I that's what I think the Broncos are going to get. You know, they got a good running game. I think with the Hackett system, uh, which is going to be heavy on the, you know, it's going to be heavy on the run and play action. I think that suits what they have. You know, they got the running backs. Uh, we'll see how their offensive line ad- uh, adapts and adjusts. I, I think it's the offensive line will get better at this scheme as the season goes along. You know, uh, and, and, you know, I'll think, you know, like everybody else, I think they'll be, you know, six and two maybe at the break, at, at the bye, and then uh, buckle up, see how they finish from there. That's, uh, that's the way it uh, looks to me, but I, but I still think 10 wins is very realistic for this team. Great stuff, Mike. We'll be watching you over the next uh, 24 hours to see how things shake out. All right. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Mike. That was our 9 News Broncos insider, Mike Kliss, presented by Bet Rivers Sportsbook. He touched on this a little bit. Uh, week one in Seattle is looming. Is the Broncos offense ready to get off to a hot start? We'll do that next. You're listening to Chad and Nate on Denver Sports Station, 1043 The Fan. Chat September 12th is two weeks a day, uh, uh, away, a day, away, 
September 12th is two weeks away, but the Broncos still have to finalize their roster. And a couple segments ago, you were talking about Nathaniel Hackett and a story he shared with you uh, about, well, a, a, a time he had when he was a, a young boy. Yeah, so we were having the production meeting, and obviously the cuts were coming. Uh, so we asked, you know, do you have any unusual stories about the cut-down process? Because every once in a while, there's a guy who gets upset and, you know, yells and screams and has to be escorted out by security. What Did he have any stories like that? He told us a story about his first cut-down process. He was 13 years old. He was a equipment intern for a team that his dad was coaching, and... He's asked to go clean out a 10-year veteran's locker uh, to get it ready for the next guy who's going to occupy that locker. Um, and so he's in the process of cleaning out that locker when the guy walks in the locker room. Hey, kid, what are you doing? They told me to clean out your locker. What? Wh- why are you doing that? Because you're getting cut. Wow. So 13 years old, Coach Hackett, Delivering the bad news. Delivering the bad news to a grown veteran football player. He didn't tell us who the player was. Um, but, I, I, you know, for a guy who has to now do this as the head coach, obviously he's had those conversations as a coordinator and a quarterback coach in the past, but that you're typically, as a coordinator or the quarterback coach, you're kind of following up after the news has already been delivered. But now he's getting that, he's going to be the, 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 the heavy now as the head coach. So he's been doing this since he was 13 years old. And he talked about how some guys don't want to have a conversation about why they were cut. Um, I think, you know, going back to my distraction segment, I think they do want to know that the, just the moment is just too big for them to be able to even formulate and process what questions do I ask and what information do I really want to know. I'm sure those guys who don't ask questions when they get home and they have an opportunity to reflect wish they would have said, hey, what what, what was the issue, Coach? What did, what did I not do? Well, ideally, the coach tells you that. You don't have to ask him, right? He, I mean, you sit down across from him, and he tells you. He tells you the score, right? I mean, you, you watch these um, these clips of hard knocks, these guys coming in and sitting across from the coach. The coach is the one who tells They don't ask a lot of questions. They kind of just, like, sit there and say, yes, sir, right? Right, typically. If, if the coach is doing it right. If he's just like, yep, we're letting you go, man. <laughs> Any questions? <laughs> Hopefully, yes. They have a set speech, you know, prepared. I want to thank you for your service, all the energy that you put in, all the work that you've put in. You know, here's why. Um, you would you offer the here's why? I would. Or would you wait for the question? Uh, actually, I understood where Coach Hackett was coming from because having hired and fired dozens and dozens of people over the years at my companies, not everybody wants to hear the why. Um, and there's but isn't that going to help them in their next endeavor? I think it would, but they don't want to hear. Um, and then when they, those who you start to tell them why, sometimes they don't want to hear that. It's just like, oh, this this moment is painful enough, the fact that they're being let go. They don't want to delve into the particulars or the details of why they had some shortcomings and no longer are employed by you. Yeah. I think that um, for a football player, you know, for, for, for an employer in a company or whatever, you don't sit in a meeting room every day after work and and have your performance critiqued on a big screen. You don't. The way no. you do in football. So these guys kind of should understand, you know, where their shortcomings are. It shouldn't catch. Like, I don't think many of these guys are going to ca- get caught by surprise by this. I think most guys understand that where they stand with the coaches, don't you think? 
it all depends on the program. Uh, one of my uh, conversations with the staff in Seattle when I left my internship with there, there was everything is so great here. Right. Everything's great. Everything's positive. You know, we're going to find a way to win. We're down by 42 points with the last six minutes of the game. We'll find a way to win. Our program is great. We practice hard. Competition is great. Everything is so great here. I think when you cut some of these guys, they are genuinely surprised because, you know, we ha- there's a kind of a philosophy and mantra in Seattle about telling guys all the positive stuff and trying to lift them up and try to buoy their spirits. The more confident we can make these players, the better players are going to be until cut-down day, and then you, they're caught by surprise. you got to be sitting in that meeting room every day, though, and, and if you're someone who, who gets a lot of attention from the coaches when you're watching practice, it's typically not good. Right. They don't, like, say, hey, Chad, great play on that. Let's talk about why that was great, you know? No, when you do your job well, you, you kind of just that, – that's what's expected, right? In those meetings, it's about correcting mistakes. And so if you're one of those guys who's always making mistakes, then you got to know your butt's on the line. Okay, yes. If you're a guy who's a mistake repeater, clearly you know. But not all 27 guys who are going to be released from the 80 to 53 are all mistake repeaters. Some of those guys are just guys who just didn't measure up physically or were beat out by a better player. So I guess outside of the the clear cuts of, yeah, this just ain't for you because you just can't. Well, no, I'm I'm not talking about mental mistakes. Even when you make a physical, like when you get beat. They still critique that, right? right, and try to coach you up on how not to get beat, how to improve your technique so you don't get beat, like that type of thing. And so if you're getting a lot of coaching, more so than unless you're like a first-round pick and they just want to put a lot of energy into getting you better, but if you're getting a lot of coaching, is that a sign? It should be. But going back to the old Seattle experience, when we had our personnel meetings with John Snyder, the GM, and with Pete, Pete would preface the personnel meetings and say, I don't want this to be a bash, bash session. I want you guys to find two or, three, two or three things positive to say about each player before we go into their negatives. That's how important the positivity was up in Seattle, which I thought was great because those personnel meetings can turn into, this guy sucks, this guy's terrible, this guy can't compete, this guy's weak-minded, this guy's got no strength, no power. It turned into all that. So I understood where Pete was coming from, but I think that speaks to the overall super positive philosophy Pete was trying to bring, which I actually brought into the position coaching rooms as well. Therefore, there was a, I felt, a strong chance that guys could walk out of that experience in Seattle thinking, you just told me all how awesome I was all camp, but now I don't have a job. So... And, and Nathaniel Hackett sort of has some of that Pete Carroll positivity to yeah, him, doesn't he? He does. And, and we've talked about how everything's great here. I wonder if any of these players are going to get caught by surprise. All right, um, we got one segment left. I want to touch on, uh, well, I want to touch on Ponchakar, my boy, again. <laughs> uh-huh. Tom Brady returned after 11-day hiatus. And two weeks away from now, opening night for the Broncos, September 12th. Will Russell Wilson and the offense be ready? We'll talk about that next. Denver Sports Station 104.3 The Fan presents Chad and Nate. Two-time back-to-back reigning NFL MVP Aaron Rodgers went on the Joe Rogan Experience podcast over the weekend. Um, some folks on the on the text line are asking, did I listen to it? Uh, I did not. It's three hours long. <laughs> That's a long podcast. Um, did you guys listen to it start to finish? Uh, maybe I'll check it out. But there was there's a lot of stories on, on what was said there. We touched earlier on the immunization stuff and how he 
intentionally said it, immunized, and hoping there was a media member who asked him to clarify. Nobody did, and so he accepted that people were going to think that he was vaccinated because he kind of had a tricky little wordplay thing there. Um, He also talked about the stooge that the NFL sent to try to get the players to get vaccinated, put up some charts on uh, the percentages of vaccinated players that each team had and trying to get the Packers to to be better in that regard. But uh, he also talked about ayahuasca. And Aaron Rodgers did ayahuasca, um, a psychedelic drug in Peru during the 2020 offseason. And he said, I think there's a hunger for what I experienced, for what you're taught, for what you talked about with mushrooms. Is this death of the ego, this realization that we're all connected, this greater sense of what community is when you dissolve the ego, the amount of love that you can give back to yourself and then other people, it takes away for me, so much judgment of myself and others, so much separation between myself and others. The greater sense of connection was overwhelming when I kind of came out of that and got back to, like, reality. Now here's the integration. Here's me in a different form. Hearing those words from the back-to-back NFL MVP, we got to admit Aaron Rodgers is really, really good at football. Those sound like some pretty nice words. Should the NFL allow players to do ayahuasca? Uh, that's the slippery slope. Uh, cause even, let's slip on down. Let's slide down it, Chatty. Uh, cause even the, you know, the mentioning of it being allowed becomes an endorsement. Uh, I don't think the NFL is ever going to be the, in the endorsement of, uh, psychedelics. Um, you know, while they may have some medical mental health purposes out there, uh, the NFL, I think is going to avoid that as far away as they can as possible. He talked about also playing, uh, on Percocet, which wasn't, a huge surprise right. to anybody who's played in the game. Um, any surprise there that you heard Aaron Rodgers say that he's played on Percocet? Were you ever on pain pills? Did you play on pain pills? Uh, I played on some pretty powerful anti-inflammatories. The year after I uh, had my Liz Frank surgery, yeah, my foot was, uh, that was an issue. Um, so a lot of pain pills. Who is uh, this Liz Frank lady? And and what is she, what has she been doing to guys' feet? <laughs> <laughs> Liz Frank was actually a Napoleon's uh, doctor and surgeon. Huh. And when you were in battle and you got knocked off your horse, the stirrups that you put your foot in, wow, your foot could get caught in that stirrup when you were knocked off your horse. And so the a lot of the soldiers had this injury, and it was named after Napoleon's surgeon. Wow, look at the big brain on chat. Yeah, look at me, wow. yes. Yeah, so I've been there and, and done this, unfortunately, with the Liz Frank. So, yeah. Um, Were you riding a horse? I was not. I was playing football. I was taking on a fullback for the uh, Washington, then Redskins. That's right. Yes, and uh, my foot just went flat all of a sudden. That was weird. Uh, went into the locker room. We did an x-ray, um, and then I put all my pressure on one foot. You could watch my foot, the arch just flattened, and the whole foot spread out. I was like, oh. That's something wrong in my okay. foot there. Well, um, how many bones have you broken? Uh, collarbone three times, bones in Same both hands. Uh huh. Fibula. So three. So I guess we'll count the collarbone as three separate breaks. The fibula four, hands, wrist. I don't know. Probably ten. Is that it? Yeah. Wow. And you played fifteen years. Yeah. How many surgeries? I uh, didn't have my first NFL surgery until year ten. Wow. Yeah. Wow. The anomaly. Uh, I, I was pretty healthy for a while. Then they, they stacked up pretty quick after that. Even a bigger anomaly than you, Tom Brady returning after an 11-day hiatus. He had something to say about it. It's all personal. You know, everyone's got different situations they're dealing with, so we all have really unique challenges to our life. And, uh, you know, we're, I 
45 years old, man. There's a lot of shit going on. So, you know, <laughs> you just got to try to figure out life the best you can. And, um, you know, it's a uh, continuous process. So, He's clearly going through something. Do you think he just came back from Peru? <laughs> um, <laughs> before you answer that, you know the internet, man. It's it's a it's a it's an evil, awful place. But they speculate a lot about a lot of stuff. The internet is speculating that he had some work done on his face and that he his face looks different. Did you see Tom Brady's face? And did, do you think he's been nipped and tucked? Is uh, that why he was gone? He, he looks you know pretty thin in the face. Tom is certainly one for, yeah for his diet. So okay. I think it's maybe just a more of an artifact of that than getting facial surgery uh, halfway through training camp and expecting to. Yeah, I, I don't think that's the case. Um, I didn't particularly love his answer, um, but that's the reality of yeah. When you're forty five, what, what didn't you love about it? Do, do you want him to expand about his personal life more, or do you accept that a guy like him, who obviously knows the importance of football, he's dedicated his whole life to it. Why would he leave if he, if he didn't need to? Do you think he needed to give more? Um, that that begs the question of what was it that pulled you away? You had a lot of stuff going on. What what was it? I know, but do do we deserve to know that? Um, do we deserve to know? Because um, you said you didn't like the answer. Yeah. Tom has to understand who he is. He's, again, just was voted the number one player in the NFL by all the players. Um, so you're the number one player. You're the GOAT. You're the greatest of all time. You retired, then you didn't retire. Now you went to training camp, then you left training camp. Uh, now you come back and you say, well, I got a lot of stuff going on. Um, it's uh, It begs more questions. Um, does he have to answer? No, he doesn't. Um, but, I, you know, now he's going to. It, now, now the ugly part of the media thing comes up, where the media wants to know, and Tom is going to instruct the PR folks for the for the Bron- uh, for the Buccaneers to, well, whenever I do an interview, I don't want to be asked about that. Uh, you, you can't ask me that, and so this constant back and forth, and maybe Tom will be asked, and somebody's going to be willing to burn a bridge from a media perspective. Yeah, we got Tom Brady here, and we've all agreed to all these questions. The first question they're going to ask is, why were you gone for two weeks? And then is, is Tom going to get up and walk away? What's going to happen there? I think, you know, not that you have to bear your soul to the public, but in a circumstance that is so highly unusual um, to at least say, hey, you know, as a private family matter. Okay, that answers the question. It's a private family matter and we, we can step, we can move there. But to say, I got a lot of stuff going on. Yeah, what player past the age of 30 doesn't have a lot of stuff going on? Life, wife, kids. Uh, outside business interest, parents getting older, issues with their health. There can be a million different things, but to tie it up in a private family matter, okay, we've moved on. So in two weeks from now, the Broncos are going to take the field in Seattle and play the Seahawks. They're going to be they're going to be captained by Geno Smith. It seems as if Geno Smith has beat out Drew Locke, but um, I think the big question mark here in town is about the Broncos' offense and Russell Wilson and what that is going to look like. What are your expectations for what the Broncos' offense is going to look like in two weeks against this Seattle D? We don't know. But what is? But it's Chad Brown. What, what do you feel, man? What's your instinct telling you, man? You played in Seattle for eight years, right? You know Pete Carroll. Yeah. You know those guys. You know how they're going to try to game plan. You know the game plan, right? 
They're gonna the Seahawks are gonna be ready to play. There's no doubt about that. Pete is, Pete is gonna get them ready to play. They went zero and three in the preseason. By the way, does that matter? Nope, doesn't matter what. Bill Belichick just had a long, lengthy diatribe about the how the preseason doesn't indicate what kind of team you have. So for those interested, go to ProFootballTalk.com. It's because they went one and two. Uh, Bill Belichick. I don't think preseason games are a big indicator of what a team is or isn't. So yeah, there's literally like three paragraphs of quotes from Bill. So if you're interested in his football outlook. I suggest you read that. Um, but Pete's going to have his team ready to play. It's going to be an incredibly hostile environment. For this offense to operate for the first time together under real live full-speed football, to deal with that environment where communication is going to be tricky, uh, where hand signals are probably going to be needed instead of uh, being able to communicate uh, audibles and things like that at the line of scrimmage, um, that's going to be tough. It's going to be a very difficult environment for your first game as an NFL head coach, Coach Hackett, for your first game as a Bronco, Russell Wilson, for these young wide receivers to be on the field with Russell Wilson together under live bullets. There's a lot of question marks that that can happen there. So some of those folks who are seeing a possible Seahawks victory, I can't push back on that. I expect the Broncos to win. I think the Broncos are a better team. But with all the circumstances surrounding this game, the Seahawks certainly have a shot. The Seattle defense, it was it, the idea is that they're weak because they lost Bobby Wagner, yep. right? Um, do you expect them to put up a fight this season? Uh, they've had a bit of a defensive revamp. You know, Pete Carroll has been pretty slavish to his kind of cover uh, three system that he's run up there for a long period of time. Um, they brought in a new coordinator uh, from the outside to kind of tweak things a bit. Um, so I don't. Sure, I'm not sure who they are going to be, what their defensive style is going to be. I think that the league caught up to the Seahawks after their Legion of Boom days. Uh, part of the reason why the league caught up wasn't because it was necessarily Pete's system, but because of the players who were in that system. Earl Holmes and Pat, uh, Richard Sherman and, and guys like that. Um, Cam Chancellor. Now, revamp of the system, definitely a restocking of the cupboard as far as the talent on the field. Uh, I'm not sure what to expect defensively from them, um, but I do know they will be ready to play. They will play Pete style, fast, aggressive, physical, and they'll try to overwhelm you with their swarming defense, and they're going to run the ball in offense and limit Geno Smith's exposure. Well, we got two whole weeks to prepare for that matchup, which is unusual in the past. It used to just be a week. You'd have your last preseason game on a Thursday, and then you'd make your cuts and come back Monday, and that was game week. We had two whole weeks to get ready for this. Over the next 24 hours, though, the Broncos have some big decisions to make. Cutting this roster down to 53, will there be some surprises? Probably. Uh, but um, they got to cut someone, and they got to go into into week one ready to go. And so let's hope they make the right choices. I know that Zach and Stoke are going to make the right choices. Stick around for them. They're next. Hey, this is Nate Jackson. Thanks for checking out Chad and Nate On Demand, presented by SCL Mortgage, the home of MySpecialMortgage.com.